Your podcast starts after this quick message from Clear. The average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for allergens and germs to get in your nose and body and wreak havoc. That is, unless you regularly clean your nose and sinuses. So for healthy breathing and a strong body, use Clear Nasal Spray. Clear is a natural nasal spray featuring xylitol, an ingredient clinically proven to work against bacteria and effectively clean not just rinse your nose. Clear nasal spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. In fact, in a recent study, researchers found that xylitol nasal sprays like Clear are just as effective as leading medicated nasal sprays. For better breathing, get Clear today. That's spelled X-L-E-A-R. You can find it at all major retailers, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Sprouts, Whole Foods, and everywhere else. This is Dr. Holly Lucille's Mindful Medicine. Here's Dr. Holly Lucille. Hi, mindful listeners. Thank you once again so much for spending part of your day with us here. You know, today it's a really special episode because a lot of us think about wanting to be in love or are in love or falling in love, but we're going to be talking about today somebody who found themselves out of love and then through this journey wrote an incredible book called Out of Love, finding your way back to self-compassion. So I'm going to get right into it and bring the author of this incredible book on Marianne Ingheim. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Holly. So you are a PhD student at the California Institute of Integral Studies. How's that going? It's going well. I mean, it's it's tough writing a dissertation, but it's fun too. So that's my next book. <laughs> awesome. Well, yes. And next time you're on, we're going to call you Dr. Ingheim. So, exactly. <laughs> so very, very exciting. Certainly an exciting time in your life, but it seems like from this book, which is packed full of so many lovely ways for people to be compassionate with themselves. You went through quite a journey. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So originally I had gotten into self-compassion by reading uh, Kristen Neff's book called Self-Compassion. And conceptually, I had started to understand that, yeah, probably being kind to myself would be a good idea. But really it wasn't until these events of 2016 and 2017 that I began to make the leap into, I got to practice this stuff. So what happened in August of 2016, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, which, you know, it ended up being a wake-up call for me. I realized that I hadn't been happy for a long time. I, Mm. I didn't feel like I was living the life I was meant to live, like I wasn't fulfilling my purpose and I had to make some big changes and one of those changes was I needed to leave my husband of almost 10 years Mm, which mm, you know that's such a hard decision to make you know I agonized you know here's somebody I had loved for almost 10 years but it wasn't working for me I felt like I couldn't continue to grow as a person And so I agonized about how to tell him this and um, went to a counselor to help me to do that. And the day that I did, you know, it led to the biggest tragedy of my life because he he committed suicide. Oh, God, Marianne, I am 
Yeah, I am so sorry. I mean, to have you go through that agonizing decision and get help to do it and then express your truth and then have that tragedy happen. I mean, it's, it's unimaginable. Right. Right. And so, you know, of course my, my, my guilt and my inner criticism was enormous. The guilt that I had, you know, caused this to somebody else. And I mean, intellectually, I knew that, okay, it's not my fault. We're each responsible for our own lives, but it felt like, you know, I mean, the cause and effect was there. Sure. I couldn't deny that. And so what ended up helping me through all this, and by the way, this happened in the course of six months, the cancer, the decision to leave my husband, and then the loss. Right. So I had to put my life back together and it was, at first it was just about self-care, like getting through each day and making sure I'm eating, sleeping, you know, taking care of my physical needs. And then it began to be more about how do I make meaning of all this? You know, how sort of, how am I going to make sense of it and move through it? Yeah. Um, you know, and that's you, where self-compassion helps. Yeah. And, you know, you, I think you said a really important thing at the top of the show, which is you have to start practicing this because I see little quips mm-hmm. of, you know, maybe they're memes on Facebook or postcards or in a written copy card of sayings that are compassionate or, you know, it sounds good when you say it really fast. But I think right. with self-care and self-compassion and mindfulness in general, the right. practicing is the key because, I mean, the things it seems like that you had inside of you, you know, and I know that you were born up, you were born and, and, and raised in a, a fairly rigid environment and right. depression and anxiety seem to be constant. So you had these inner beliefs anyway. And then to pile right. on these events that happened, you know, why not think because you were raised, this is my fault. And, and then you're right. going to self-perpetrate on yourself, right? If you don't start mm-hmm. to get out of it. And it seems like that's what you did in this book it exemplifies that so much. Yeah. And in fact, writing the book was part of that self-compassionate journey of, of working through the guilt. Yeah. You know, I think we, we learn to be self-critical. And for me, it was especially emphasized because I grew up in this rigid environment. But I think we all, to some extent, learn this self-criticism. And it doesn't help us to get through these things. No. So tell me about the book. You, you, you write it in, in, in little vignettes uh, and stories mm-hmm. from your personal journey. And then these exercises and tips for cultivating the self-compassion that folks listening can start to weave and then practice, of course. We'll keep, we'll keep hammering that word in, in their lives. <laughs> so... Let's get to some of those. Of course, I still want to, you know, sort of weave your your journey in here because my best guests are always folks that have created a piece of work, a book or anything because of their own experience. You know, it's like that's just Mm -hmm. it's it's in your bones like, you know, it you didn't have to do a lot of research or, you know, it's just like, well, the research is there, right? It's just data with a soul because it's your story. So right. yeah, let's, let's get to these exercises and tips and tricks for folks to cultivate the self-compassion, which as you said, 
can be pretty hard because inherently it seems like we have that self-perpetrator inside instead. Right. And it, you know, it can really lead to a lot of things, you know, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and just the plain fear of doing things, you know, because you've got this critic in your head telling you you're a failure, you can't do it. And so working with this negative self-talk is one of the first things I had to deal with. Um, and I talk a lot about that in the book, how, how we can come to recognize this voice, which is otherwise very unconscious. You know, we don't necessarily realize how critically we talk to ourselves. Yeah, no, not at all. We don't. And I think it's every single day over and over and over again that gets reinforced. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's also this fear of self-compassion. You know, we have these myths about, oh, if you're, you know, self-love, that means that you're self-indulgent, you're lazy, you're going to be unmotivated. And, you know, the research shows that that's not true. And if you think about how we motivate our kids, we motivate them by being kind, not by being vicious. Yeah, you lead by example. Yeah, right. And so that's another thing when I've thought about this a lot now that I'm a stepmom, how we model to our kids. So even though I may not be critical of him, if I'm self-critical, that's the thing that he's going to notice. That's the behavior. Yeah. I mean, I've seen this a lot in my patients and I certainly have recognized it with myself, especially around, it seems like body shaming, that that gets learned really early and people pick up on that. Mm -hmm. And I know that my mom have her rest in peace, but my mom was, you know, back in the day and all of her girlfriends, my mom would compare my weight to hers. And, you know, it was just, I got these messages that were completely Mm -hmm. crazy and stay with me almost to the day where I have to, you know, as a 54 year old menopausal woman, I have to like, just like, (laughs) Hey, (laughs) you know, I have to infuse a little bit of acceptance and love with my, you know, as each decade goes by and how my body is changing and such. And it's, you know, that's just one little, you know, thing that I I experienced it, but I see Mm -hmm. it in some of the young kids, younger people that I, that I care for and that I meet their parents. And I, I, I kind of go, uh-huh, this is, this is going to, this is, this is going to take a little bit more than just gathering some lab data and um, seeing if their thyroid is off. This is going to take a little (laughs) bit more digging and a little bit more, you know, just education and counseling because, it's, it's not about the thyroid. I mean, sometimes it is. I don't want to, you know, if, if there's stuff going on with the thyroid, we definitely have to take care of that. But you know what I'm saying? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with our tendency to, be, to compare ourselves to each other, which is because we want to fit in, right? And so in a way, we're being critical of ourselves in order to preempt criticism from others. In order to fit in, because we want to belong, we don't want to be alone. And so it, it, that's a deeply ingrained thing that we have. Do you want me to talk a little bit about self-compassion? What, what, 
how it relates to mindfulness. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, because I mean, your book, and for listeners out there, I'll, I'll read the, the title of the book again, is Out of Love, which Marianne, it seems like you found yourself out of love with yourself. A uh, lot, of, lot of criticism, especially with the events that happened in a six month period, breast cancer, deciding mm-hmm. to divorce your husband, him unfortunately ending his life. Um, so out of love, finding your way back to self-compassion. And yeah, self-compassion and mindfulness, perfect marriage, but please talk about that. You know, you just said something I'd never thought of before, the out of love. I didn't just fall out of love with my husband. I had fallen out of love with myself. Wow. That is, yeah. that is <laughs> it's amazing to get an aha when you're talking to someone. <laughs> yeah, because if you think about it, all of these things could have happened to another person and, and their response to it would have been different. But this is you, you know, this, right. this was you and your struggle with where you found yourself in your life, the wake-up call from your breast cancer. So, yeah, let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and for some reason, that was what I needed in order to to wake up and, and I guess, find my way back to, to love. And the reason why I say back is because I think we, you know, the self-criticism is something we learn. I don't think as a child we have that. And so obviously we can't go back to being a child again, but if we can sort of capture some of that self-love. And so what self-compassion is, I, I really like Kristen Neff's definition of it, where she talks about three elements, self-kindness, mindfulness, and common humanity. That last one is about recognizing that we're, we're all in this together. You know, we're interconnected and Suffering is just part of life. And so when we recognize that we all suffer, then my own suffering doesn't, I don't feel as alone in the suffering. And so that's that piece of self-compassion. And mindfulness, of course, you talk about a lot on your show. And then the self-kindness is how we talk to ourselves, how we take care of ourselves our ability to self-soothe when we're emotionally reactive, yeah, those kinds of things. Yeah. And then common humanity. I love that. Um, too bad. Sometimes it's not so common. And I guess you could switch out humanity with humility as well. You know, I mean, just like, I think yeah. sometimes what gives us the ability to just be kind to ourselves is, is being, first of all, hum- humiliated. I think it's Carolyn Mace that, that talks about that as the medical intuitive and sort of like, you know, you don't get there in self-love until you're humiliated. You know, you feel that. And then that humanity and, you know, humility, I guess, is so yeah. important because then that leads to all of those intertwined compassion for others, but also to yourself. Right, right. And some of us can, might be, you know, some of us can be pretty kind to other people, but struggle with being kind to ourselves. And I don't know why that, that is, you know, especially for us Westerners, we seem to struggle with, oh, it's selfish to be kind to myself. Yeah. But true love comes from loving yourself first, because then you can truly love someone else without being in sort of this codependent, rescuing each other kind of thing, which was part of the problem with my, my husband at the time that we had gotten into this pattern of rescuing each other is the best Uh, way I can put it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that can run deep. And let's talk about, too, you talk about basing worthiness on who people are instead of what they do or accomplish. Mm. You know, I have a really dear friend who is a personal trainer, and he is like one of the most generous compassionate people that I know during this time. And I think we can mention it because it's probably not going to go away for a bit. But during this time of COVID, you know, he, because he's so good at what he does, he actually maintained his clientele. They went virtual. They still wanted to stay with him. And he didn't take a hit financially, like a lot of his friends and other athletes, you know, in his circle. So he, offered to sponsor people's membership, you know, where they could continue to still do online classes. He offered to buy other coaches that were not in his position food for two weeks. And just, I, mm. I heard this, and I, but he constantly, constantly berates himself for just being, quote unquote, mm. a personal trainer. And he's a talented one. I mean, just incredible at, at, at what he does and how he can help people. But, you know, he, 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 he has shame about what he charges because he's he hasn't gone mm. to, you know, Harvard or, you know, has an advanced degree or anything like that. And it's just one of these things that we talk about so much. But yeah, talk about right. that a bit, that worthiness of, of who we are instead of what we do. Right. Yeah. So Brene Brown calls it hustling for our worthiness. Like hmm. we're we're always hustling to to do, do, do so that we can prove that we're worthy when the fact is that we are worthy simply because we are. But that's part of, I don't know, part of our, our culture that we, we have this, you know, we're constantly doing things. It's, it's a symbol of success to be, to be busy all the time. And yet we don't really, we don't really feel worthy no matter how much we try, because I think true worthiness just doesn't come from what we do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it comes from just being and, and getting this. So how how do people how do how, how do you help people with the, in this book quiet their inner critic, you know, and replace it with loving and that compassionate voice that we need to practice doing? What are some some stories and tips and tricks about that? <laughs> yeah. So first off is noticing when you're being self-critical and so I like to say take a week where you write down every time you feel bad about yourself or you catch yourself thinking something negative about yourself and write it down write down exactly what your inner critic is saying because then you can start to notice patterns like are there certain areas that I tend to criticize myself about you know is it about achievement or is it about appearance? Do I compare myself with other people and, and who and where does that come from? And so like for me, I began to notice how much my criticism came from my mother and my grandmother. And once I could recognize that, it was like, okay, that's their voice I'm hearing in here. You know, that's maybe not necessarily something I want to keep believing. And so then once I began to notice these patterns, there are different ways you can re- replace the self-talk. So reframing, and I, I, I do this all the time because I'm, I'm 
you know, I'm still self-compassion isn't something you check off, you know, okay, I've done self-compassion. I know, know that now it's a continuous practice of, wow, I just said something really horrible about myself. How could I reframe that and say it, you know, instead of saying, I, man, I just never finish anything. Well, is that true? <laughs> no, not really. You know, right. I can, re- re- I can reframe that statement as, okay, so maybe I haven't finished this thing right yet, but I, I finished washing the dishes this morning. <laughs> I finished, you know, like we, we tend to go with this. That's one thing the inner critic tends to use these words like never and always, which are never true. <laughs> right. So in finishing up here, what do you, I want to ask you, I mean, so let's talk about where people can get this book out of love, finding your way back to self-compassion and your website. I want to give it to everybody. Marianne Ingheim, which is M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E. And then your last name, I-N-G-H-E-I-M. Is that Dutch? That's Dutch. Yes. Danish. Danish. All right. Pretty Marianne cool. Ingham, yeah, Mary, <laughs> thank you. dot com, And people can get the book where people get books. Yes. Yes. Everywhere. And support your local indie bookstores if you can, because they're definitely struggling right now. Yeah. And otherwise, there's always Amazon. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's otherwise people know that that they can probably get it the next day right to there. But you can run up to your local bookstore. That's the best thing to do. Right. So what do you do in your dissertation on? Self-compassion. <laughs> All right. So it, it, interesting. And I, you know, Brene Brown, you know, as, as a researcher, she sort of like, you know, found herself in this place and of bravery and, and, and doing research on bravery. So it's, it's kind of fun for folks like you that are digging into the fact that these things matter. They're not just memes on Facebook, this love right. and bravery and vulnerability um, and self-compassion that has data. And I think, I think I actually stole one of Brene's sayings, which I should give her credit for, which is, I think your story is just data with a soul, right? So we do, we all mm-hmm. have da- research in, in inside of us. You know, it's our experiences. Yeah. You, you wouldn't be who you are. You're the author that you are, the, the PhD student that you are without those traumatic events. And so lots to celebrate. And Marianne, I really appreciate your bravery, your vulnerability, your compassion, and being here with us on Mindful Medicine. Thank you so much. Thanks, Holly. All right, for my mindful listeners, I appreciate you so much and and we'll see you next time.